Today, more than half of the world's population live in cities. That's some 4.2 billion people. And by mid-century, it is predicted that more than two-thirds of the world's population will live in urban areas. This sees cities at the forefront of sustainability, needing to meet social needs within our ecological boundaries, and they must provide access to housing and transportation and healthcare and education and all the other services in an equitable and sustainable way. An overarching guiding roadmap to consider sustainability is the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. These 17 goals cover all aspects of sustainable development, from gender equality to health and education, from clean energy to ecosystems and climate change. Cities even have their own goal, goal number 11, sustainable cities and communities. While goal 11 is specifically targeting cities, we argue that all sustainable development goals can be translated and applied in an urban environment. But what does this translation look like? How may these goals be implemented? In today's episode, we will explore how the sustainable development goals are being integrated into city planning and how academia and cities may support each other in this endeavor. Welcome to the podcast, Advancing Sustainable Solutions. Our mission is to make sustainability research more accessible and engaging for society. This episode is produced at the IIEE and is hosted by Sophie Sandin-Lumpar and Stephen Curtis. And welcome to another episode of the IIIEE podcast called Advancing Sustainable Solutions, produced here at Lund University. My name is Stephen Curtis, and joining me as co-host today is Sophie Sandin-Lompar. Hey, Sophie. Hey there, Stephen. It's good to be back again. I want to say I'm really excited about digging into today's topic. But before we do that, I just want to pause and just acknowledge the times we're living in. These are and continue to be very uncertain times in the world. I mean, we are still, after two years, seeing the effects of the pandemic around the world. And now we're also seeing dreadful and just unfathomable images of war in Europe, while we're also then seeing reports of environmental boundaries coming even closer. I I just want to say that I, I think the need for humanity to stand united and come together under shared visions of peace, equality, and sustainability in all aspects has perhaps never been more acute. Yeah, I definitely echo those sentiments, Sophie. You know, just before recording today's episode, we were talking amongst ourselves, just how is it that it's even possible to live and work in the times that we're living in today? There's so much uncertainty. There's so much hardship and and anguish. But more than anything, what I'm moved by is people coming together. Uh, I'm seeing initiatives pop up in my community and around the world that's giving me a sense of community and camaraderie. and, uh, And I find meaning in that. But I think it's also an important reminder that our world is fragile and we have to take action in order to continue to safeguard democracy and peace and in our environment. And I think this is why we continue to work to seek to engage people, people like you, our listeners, by providing insights and knowledge from the research conducted here at our institute, as well as at Lund University. And our hope is that we're able to empower our fellow humans to stand together and to support a kinder and more sustainable world. And just like you said, Sophie, we have another really interesting episode ahead. We're going to talk about cities and specifically how the sustainable development goals can be translated into an urban context useful for city planning and urban development. Yeah, so let's uh, kickstart this episode then. 
cities are and will continue to be important actors in the global arena when we talk about the sustainable development goals. Their impact is easy to imagine when we think about the mega cities across the globe, such as Tokyo, Paris, Lagos, Rio de Janeiro, or New York. But regardless of size, all cities matter. And this is because cities are filled with people and all people have basic human rights that the sustainable development goals seek to address. Yeah, so whenever we talk about development, whether sustainable development or urban development, we need to discuss concepts of lock-in and path dependency. Now, these phenomena occur when past and present decisions dictate future choices. And because urban development occurs at long time scales, we must be very careful that the choices that we make today do not lead to future unsustainable situations or behavior. The thing here is that whatever the choices, it is likely that this infrastructure sticks around for a long time. Things like buildings, roads, water and sewage pipes, buried electrical lines, fiber internet, and so on, stays for generations. And therefore, decisions about infrastructure must take into account many different data points, seeking to forecast the needs of tomorrow, while also reflecting opinions of our society's values. And of course, this is no easy feat. So how then can cities work with planning and development to overcome lock-in and path dependency, ensuring alignment and implementation of the sustainable development goals? One way for cities to address these challenges, as well as academia to support cities, is to establish close connection between cities and academia. For instance, there are examples of cities supporting research by hosting what are called municipal PhD students. A municipal PhD student sees an individual researching questions relevant to the city in a scientific and rigorous manner. And of course, this means that both the cities and academia benefit from the training and networks provided by each other. Now, the individual is affiliated with both the municipal government and the university, and they must then meet the deliverables and expectations of both bodies, and that they carry out tasks that fulfill the requirements of a doctoral degree at the same time supporting the ongoing municipal work. This means that this person is able to facilitate knowledge sharing between both cities and academia and providing a pathway to transfer experiences and insights between both. And we are happy to say that we have such a municipal PhD student working with us here at the IIIE, Roland Sinkenagel. Roland is employed by the city of Malmö and sits at the environment department working with sustainable urban planning and researches how the sustainable development goals can be applied in a local city context. In particular, Malmö is interested in how to translate the sustainable development goals to a city context in order to comply with local, national and international sustainability targets. Roland will defend his licentiate thesis in June, a standalone or midway degree in pursuit of a PhD. And with this episode, we wish to share his research with you, our listeners, and continue our tradition here at the Institute of celebrating our colleagues who defend their theses. You'll get to meet Roland later in the episode, but first, let's explore a bit more about the various ways to apply the sustainable development goals in an urban context. The Sustainable Development Goals, or the SDGs as they are commonly abbreviated, were articulated and defined by the member states to the United Nations. 
They succeeded the Millennium Development Goals in 2015, with the ambition to achieve the SDGs by 2030. This is why sometimes you may hear the Sustainable Development Goals referred to as Agenda 2030. So there are 17 goals that cover sustainable development in many aspects, including social sustainability, such as education, equality, and the eradication of poverty and hunger. There are environmental sustainability, including healthy seas, land, and climate, and also societal goals, including those targeting peace and justice, innovation and infrastructure, work and economic growth, and for this episode, notably cities and communities. Right, so let's discuss the vocabulary then of the Sustainable Development Goals, and that is of targets and indicators. Now, we know that there are 17 goals, and these goals are made up of 169 targets and 231 unique indicators. In order to translate the goals into an urban context, then, we need to understand their associated targets and indicators. So first, let's discuss targets. The targets provide clear guidance of the important aspects to focus on for each goal. In other words, they give us something to aim for. Each goal has between 5 to 19 targets, which are either outcome targets or means to implementation targets. Outcome targets dictate the results or condition to be obtained in relation to the goal. In contrast, the means to implementation targets provide guidance to be able to achieve each goal. All right, Sophie, so two types of targets. We have the outcome targets and the means to implementation targets. And we thought that we'd provide an example of the difference between these two targets by looking specifically at goal number 11, this goal being sustainable cities and communities. Now, one such target seeks to ensure access to adequate, safe, and affordable housing. Another target seeks to provide access to safe, affordable, and accessible transportation. Both of these are outcome targets and that they're articulating a result. Likewise, we have means to implementation targets. So for example, a means to implementation target for goal number 11 may be to strengthen national and regional development planning. Again, this is a, a suggestion towards implementing this particular goal. One thing that I found was super interesting, which I actually didn't know, that each of the targets are labeled in relation to whether they are outcome targets or means to implementation targets. So for example, the outcome targets are labeled with numbers and the means to implementation targets labeled with letters. So 11.1 or 11.a, for example. Did you know that, Sophie? I didn't know that either in that detail. So that was a good fun fact there, Stephen. Thanks for that. The really interesting question, I think, is how do we know if we achieve these targets? Just having targets is not enough to know if we have succeeded in meeting them. So this is where the indicators come into the picture. Indicators are some metric used to be able to assess progress towards each target. And these metrics can be measured and compared over time so that we know if we're moving in the right direction to achieve each target. In total, there are 231 unique indicators across the 169 targets. Again, using goal number 11, sustainable cities and communities, let's explore a little bit how each of these indicators function in relation to targets. So remember the outcome target to ensure access to adequate, safe, and affordable housing. The relevant indicator then is the proportion of urban population living in slums, informal sediments, or inadequate housing. Right, this indicator is a metric, it's, it's a proportion, it's measurable, and it can be compared throughout time. We can use this metric then as a means to assess progress towards the target, in that we can now monitor the housing situation locally, regionally, and around the globe. 
I will say that the means to implementation targets also have measurable indicators to track progress towards implementation. So in brief, targets provide direction while indicators help to measure progress. But how do we translate these targets and indicators to be useful for cities? Well, first we can measure and track metrics at a city level, summing up global progress towards the SDGs. But more importantly, the SDGs can be used directly as a guidance for cities in their own development and sustainability work. Because let's face it, much of the hands-on work towards reaching the sustainable development goals will be carried out at the city and the community level. For example, by building houses, providing healthcare and education, as well as ensuring clean water and sanitation. And meaningful progress will involve the participation and consultation of local communities directly impacted or implementing these sustainability solutions. According to estimates from the OECD, 110 of the 169 targets, that's 65%, will need engagement from local and regional authorities in order to be able to be achieved. But as you may expect, working towards sustainable development is a huge undertaking that requires actions by many stakeholders with complex dynamics among our economic, social, technological, and ecological systems. So this means then that there are many challenges that cities face to implement the SDGs. There is increasing complexity and financial constraints and trends that will make their work more difficult, such as climate change, urbanization, and resource scarcity. But where there are challenges, there are also huge opportunities. For example, the United Nations state that cities are responsible for about 70% of the total greenhouse gas emissions and 60% of resource use. So there is a huge potential there for cities to take action that puts less pressure on our ecosystems. And while the SDGs specify one goal directed specifically at cities, again, that's goal number 11, we make the claim that all of the SDGs are relevant for cities. Cities and communities can address hunger and poverty and education. Cities have impacts on life on land and life below water, as well as on climate change. Cities design infrastructure for clean water and energy. And cities are an arena for decent work and reduced inequalities, as well as peace and justice. And one city that is translating and integrating the SDGs into their ongoing work is the city of Malmö. Malmö is uh, Sweden's third largest city located right here in the south of the country. And it faces some unique challenges as an old industrial city and approximately half of the population under the age of 35. The city is also quite international with inhabitants from 183 countries. Now, next in the podcast, we will hear from Roland Sinkenagel who is able to provide insights in how the city of Malmö is seeking to translate and operationalize the SDGs into their local context. And now we are happy to welcome Roland Zinkernagel to the podcast. Roland will defend his licentiate thesis this June, and his thesis is the result of ongoing work that Roland has done at the IIIE, working both in the city of Malmö as a sustainability strategist, as well as at the IIIE as a municipal PhD student for the past four years. Hi, Roland. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Yeah, so for our listeners, maybe we start with introducing yourself and, and maybe sharing a little bit about your background and your research. 
I did my master's at the Institute a long time ago. And when I wrote my master's thesis, it was on indicators for sustainable development, which I developed and compared two areas in Malmo um, to see how they fare when it comes to sustainability performance. Uh, when I finished with my master thesis, I, I wrote that for the city of Malmo. They came back to me and asked, uh, so yeah, that looks very interesting. Would you like to continue working with that a little bit? And I said, yes, of course. And this little bit has now become uh, more than 20 years. So I have been working at the environment department in Malmö with all kinds of different sustainability measures, projects. And then four years ago, five in fact, uh, I got the question if I would be interested in doing uh, uh, some research. And I thought back about my work at the master thesis and thought, yes, I would, I would be interested to look to go back to the indicators and see how we are using indicators to basically to see if we are moving in the right direction or not. And the city of Malmö thought that that was an interesting uh, topic, uh, interesting concept and idea. And yeah, they're interested to learn more about that as well. Right, Roland. So you're a municipal PhD. Can you please tell us a bit more about your experiences in working as a municipal PhD? What is it? And um, yeah, what has been your experience working both in academia and at the municipality at the same time? Well, a municipal PhD basically it means I am employed 100% by the city of Malmö, but they let me do research part of my time. And that means that, um, of course, I am doing research on a topic that is of interest for the city of Malmö where they feel that they would like to know more about in order to get better. At the same time, as I also have to, to, um, to meet academic standards and requirements. Yeah, so it'll be really interesting to hear about this dynamic straddling both municipal work and research. And I think we can come back to that later in our interview. But first, let's try to zoom in a little bit further into your research that you're conducting. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you've been doing your research on over the last four years? When I started out with my research, my basic idea or my basic question was that I had a feeling that this, the city uses loads of indicators, tons of indicators. But what I felt is that there's a trend or there's this sort of wishful thinking that we need to have quantifiable indicators, smart indicators, measurable, reliable, objective. So we look at things that we can count. But Roland, can I, ask, can I just interject one question there? What is the role of these indicators? Where do they come from and why do we need them? Like, what is the core problem? Um, the indicators, of course, we need um, to see how we perform. How well do we perform? And at the end of the day, uh, how efficiently we perform. Do we use money for the right thing? Or should we use the money for something else where we can have a higher, a higher impact? In a municipal obviously it's the politicians that steer and they need to know that tax money goes in the right way. And that's what we have indicators for to see, are we using it for the right thing? Do we meet the political ambitions or targets? Questions of quality, quality of life. And then we try to measure this quality of life through quantitative indicators. How many people are unemployed? How many people need social benefits or how many people die because of air pollution. And I think that there happens a shift of 
working mode or operation mode where we move away from this quality aspects and instead move towards quantity. How can we maximize access to green areas or how can we minimize noisy environments? What would you say is the implication of that shift from you know, quality or qualitative metrics to quantitative indicators as you're describing? I think there is a shift from qualitative aspects to quantitative because it's at the end of the day, it's the indicator steer what it is we are doing. So we are actually moving away from maximizing quality to maximizing quantity. So maybe uh, we have an indicator of how many people live within 500 meters of a park, and that gives us a number. But maybe it is more interesting to see what happens on the way to the park rather than the distance. The park could be on the other side of the road, but if the road is a motorway, it doesn't help. So Roland, I hear you talking a lot about indicators, and it certainly resonates with me thinking about the quality of this green space, you know, so the, the, the travel to, but also the quality of that green space. It's not just that so many people have access to it, but how, how meaningful is that green space for citizens in your society, in, in your city? Um, and I'm very much thinking about indicators related to the sustainable development goals, 17 goals, 169 targets, 231 indicators, right? How do these indicators that you're speaking about at a municipal level relate to the, the goals, targets, and indicators of the SDGs? And how did you in, include these SDGs in the research that you conducted here at the Institute? Um, right, yeah, that's a Good question. Um, I mean, when I started out my research, I started looking at which indicators has been, have been used historically to sort of frame and monitor sustainable development. So I've been looking back at, at uh, indicator sets for sustainable urban development to see how, yeah, what aspects have been deemed or have someone has decided that these are interesting aspects to, to monitor. So what I could see, for example, was that, especially in the, in, the, in the 80s, 90s, there were lots of indicators on sort of environmental performance, on air quality, on soil pollution, on water pollution. Um, and this is basically, I, I would see that as a, as a consequence of, of the high pollution in the environment from the heavy industrialization, uh, from the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and so on. But I could also see that in the course of the years to come, other aspects started to be included in sort of the sustainability performance indicators. And what I could also see um, with the, the SDGs, for example, they're the first indicators that try to address more social aspects of sustainable development, questions on gender equality, for example, uh, rights of women, all these kind of aspects, they, they, they were missing in earlier uh, indicator sets. And so the sustainable development goals brought them in into the, indeed. brought them to the table? They did, they did indeed. Now, if we, if we take the SDGs, my claim in my research as well is that, that uh, the SDGs are so far the most holistic approach towards uh, aspects of sustainable all aspects of sustainable development. Uh, it comes at a price, uh, as Stephen, you were saying, there are 17 uh, goals and 
and uh, not least 253 indicators. That's a lot of indicators. It's by far the most indicators we have ever had in any kind of sustainability performance assessment. Um, but at the same time, yes, they do cover sustainability and, and social, environmental, economic aspects the best way we have had so far. So, so Roland, hearing you you discuss about you know uh, new indicators being added to a municipal context and also the prioritizing some indicators over the other, I'm I'm curious how this works in practice. How do the SDGs and the indicators associated with this, how are they translated into an urban or municipal context? What did you find in the course of your research? I think I can say that of these 253 indicators in the SDGs, I would say that about, I'm guessing here a little bit, but 80, 90% of the indicators are being collected in the municipality as of today, maybe in a slightly different format, but generally speaking yes they are being collected but the, the challenge is that they are being collected in different parts of the municipal organization i mean the city of malmo has twenty-five thousand employees and there are many departments and many whatever units and so on so it's a question of gathering all these indicators in one spot in order in, in order to be able to to report them within the SDG context, but it's also a question then if that makes sense or not, and to what purpose should we gather them? Why do we need to gather all the SDGs to report them to wherever the national level or the global level and so on? Um, so this is half of the answer to your question. Um, what I have done is um, the city of Malmö tried to use the the SDGs in a planning context, where we try to use them for a development area in, in Malmö. The city wants to convert basically a former industrial harbor into a mixed housing and office area. And there, the city of Malmö tried to use the SDGs in order to come up with um, some kind of planning guideline. So what they did was they looked at all the SDGs, all 17, and they looked at all the targets under these 17 goals. And this ended up with uh, basically prioritizing three of the SDGs. And this is SDG 11, Sustainable Cities and Communities, SDG 12, which is Sustainable Consumption and Production, and SDG 14, which is uh, Life Below Sea. So they chose these three SDGs that in order for them to sort of color the development or, or influence the development. I mean, SDG 11 and 12 are very big goals. I mean, you can pack a lot into those two. Um, but SDG 14 in this context, I mean, I think it's quite interesting to sort of have a, a goal on life below sea for land-based development. Of course, yes, it's in the harbor, so the sea is close by, but that um, the con a consequence of that is that we really try to pull the sea aspects onto the land. So what would you then say is the current status uh, or the learning of applying these three goals in the planning phase in the city of Malmö? I mean, experiences from, from working with the SDGs in a, in, a, in a planning perspective is that, I mean, the, the, the SDGs are challenging because they are so holistic. 
and they sort of crash into an organizational or institutional structure uh, that is from the past century. So the SDGs are overarching. They ask across disciplines, uh, require actions across disciplines, and then suddenly they meet this sort of yeah, hierarchical uh, silo structure. And this is where I experienced that the city has problems to sort of incorporate them. It very quickly turns into question on who is responsible for carrying out this, that, and the other. How do we follow up? In what phase? Yeah. Yeah. And I think your experience straddling both municipal work and academia really kind of highlight some of the challenges that Malmo and other cities face in integrating SDGs and indicators in a way that's meaningful and in doing so in a way that also overcomes the silos that exist in many municipalities. Uh, so I, I did promise that we would return to this discussion about some of your experiences straddling both municipal work and academia. Uh, first, I wanted to ask, how have your research results been received in the municipal office um, during your time as a municipal PhD student? Have they spurred any action or reflection or change that you've seen in practice? in Malmö? From the municipal side, uh, my colleagues, uh, they are very curious. They, of course, want to know what I do with my research and in my research. So there's quite an openness and, and as I said, curiosity on what I've done. And I've been trying to sort of communicate my, my research results in different ways and different levels and different formats and so on. A, a concrete example for this, for example, with the SDGs and the, in the planning phase, uh, there was very big sort of openness towards testing and call it implementing the SDGs, where I felt that I could really come with my, my sort of research experience and in a way help and aid my colleagues and guide them through a process of trying to localize the SDGs, to translate the SDGs to local level. And what I also experienced in this process was that the SDGs certainly have the potential to, to be a sort of a, a unifying voice where you suddenly gather actors that speak to each other that wouldn't have done otherwise, both within, both within the municipality and the different various municipal departments, but also between the municipality and, and private sector, where for example, the energy providers and the city suddenly have a common ground to speak to each other because they both want to work with achieving the goal on, on uh, uh, renewable uh, safe energy. What do you think is the value of uh, a position like yours, a municipal PhD for the city? And would you recommend other cities to look at a similar configuration with a PhD student embedded within their, their ongoing work? Before I started my, my research, Academic knowledge was not something that we in the municipality considered or even looked for. All these sort of um, published papers and so on, this is, this is knowledge that is not really accessible. And I would even say even with the advance of, of open access journals and so where they potentially would be accessible, this is not on the radar for a municipal employee. It's just you don't think of it. You gather your knowledge and experience other ways, more whatever traditional ways, seminars, etc. So this is something that, of course, uh, opened my eyes towards the 
knowledge that's out there on the academic side. And I, of course, try to pull in this academic knowledge into the municipal operations and my colleagues and so on. At the same time, we have a challenge with academic knowledge because the academic knowledge usually, for obvious reasons, is very specific. It's sort of the, the, the municipalities, they want answers to big questions. And academia can only answer specific questions. The way that academia or a researcher works is you have your methods and you try to solve or to find answers to questions using these methods. But the methods you use don't usually match reality where problems are so complex that you cannot single out different individual strains of problems and everything influences each other and so on. So the answers that you get from academia are usually often or can be too specific to be helpful for a practitioner. Yeah, Roland, I mean, your experience is, is sobering in many ways, you know, reflecting on the mismatch in, in the, the goals and the needs between our cities and the, the valuable knowledge that academia is and can generate. Um, and, and I think one interesting kind of perspective that you've, you've highlighted here is that the goal that these organizations have becomes important. And if the goals aren't aligned, it's difficult to integrate working together. And uh, no doubt you have a goal ahead of you here as well in the context of your academic work, and that is producing a thesis and defending that thesis as part of your licentiate degree. Um, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about the finalization of your thesis and maybe some of the main conclusions that you hope that uh, your municipal colleagues as well as academia can draw from the research that you've done here with us at the Institute. Yeah, so I am, I am now at the moment in the process of getting my second article published. And of course, I need to write a kappa, sort of a summary of my, my research so far. And this is actually also a little bit of a challenge. I was talking about the challenges that municipalities have with uh, research. But at the same time, academia has challenges with sort of a municipal employee because academia sets very strict requirements and expectations. You need to have a number of published academic articles. You need to have a kappa. But these articles and this kappa are of limited value for municipalities. So basically, I do this kind of academic work for the academic world. The academic world, academia is not prepared to compromise on required outputs that would be of value for municipalities. So the expectations are sort of mismatching on both sides. So Roland, it has been a pleasure to have you here joining us on the podcast, sharing your experiences, both from your research, but also, of course, from your experiences in working for the city of Malmö. Our last question is, what would you like our listener to take away from this conversation? I think you need to remember that sustainability is complex. There are so many different things that sort of are interwoven with each other. There are synergies and discrepancies and so on. And at the end of the day, the challenge, I think, one of the challenges with sustainability is that we don't know when we are there. We have an idea of where we want to go, but unfortunately, there's not sort of a, a bell, ka-ching, now you're sustainable. So we never know when we are good enough. So it gives us a vision, but not a finish line. No, that's certainly the case. 
And uh, for any listener who is interested in finding out more about your work, they can always uh, try to find your uh, thesis, which will be published on um, LU Research Portal uh, sometime in June. So with that, thank you, Roland, for your time and for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you for all your interesting questions. Roland says that there has been a shift towards quantitative indicators intended to be able to be measured. And as we discussed, the type of indicators influence how we develop our cities. So for example, the proportion of city dwellers that have access to green space is very different from the quality of that green space. And when we discuss issues of quality, we often have to define these aspects in line with our values, priorities, and cultures. In addition, Translating, implementing, and tracking the progress of the SDGs at a city level is a lot of work. This can be a massive administrative burden on cities to establish the infrastructure and networks to measure, report, and integrate the indicators across all aspects of the city. So then, the SDGs have been criticized for being hard to implement and hard to quantify. You can probably imagine the magnitude of data that is needed to keep track of these 231 indicators across the globe, from the local, regional, national, and international level. In fact, it has been called an unprecedented statistical challenge by Morgens Liketoft, who was the president of the 70th session of the UN General Assembly in 2015, when the SDGs were introduced and decided upon. He called the data collection efforts an unprecedented challenge because of the infrastructure needed, as well as the difficulty to measure or gain access to data relevant for all indicators. Yeah, that's right. And in fact, UN's own reporting suggests that 27% of the indicators were categorized as not having any internationally established standards or methodologies. This, according to a report by Steve McFeely, the head of statistics and information at the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development. This poses new challenges for the data and statistics communities around the world, which requires time and resources to be resolved. Just on that note, Sophie, I hope that there are people that are requesting data and providing feedback to municipal and national governments. If not, I think this would raise concerns about whether and how we are able to achieve the SDGs. And I think that's a real question, whether it will be possible by 2030. Yet, while the SDGs are imperfect, I wonder what would our world look like without them? Is that a world that we would want to live in? So in my work, I aim to contribute to strengthening our work towards sustainable development rather than being hypercritical of the goals without any progress. And what I also want to acknowledge here is that the Sustainable Development Goals, they were negotiated by all member states to the United Nations. So in that sense, they present a shared international framework, a vision for the future, guided by sustainability for people and the planet, that all UN members signed off on. In essence, they are unprecedented. As Roland said, the SDGs provide a common framework to bring together actors from different places in society in the pursuit of sustainability to create common ground that facilitates interaction and the sharing of perspectives. So what should our listeners take away from this episode? Sophie, what are, what are your reflections? My reflection is uh, that I would like to reiterate what Roland said when he once described his research to me. He said that sustainability is a dough, and we do not really know what the cookie will look like. 
I like this analogy because it tells something about where we are. We have a dough and we are working on it to become the best cookie possible. But in doing so, I think it's important to remember that all of us are bakers here and we need to stay humble to the fact that we have different priorities and ideas. So for me personally, I will try to stay open-minded to any measures and activities that are taken within my city as part of reaching the SDGs. Knowing that every step counts and knowing that cities play an important role in reaching these goals. I like that metaphor, Sophie. Um, I think that what I'll take away from our discussion today is three things. First, I believe that attempts to collect data to assess the indicators is actually paramount to the success of the Sustainable Development Goals. This ensures accountability, especially in the face of empty words from politicians, blah, blah, blah. And it provides a mechanism to address incompetence or corruption. I think the second thing I'll take away is Roland's example of including quality metrics in our understanding of quantitative indicators. Yes, you may live within 50 meters of a park, but it may be of low quality or a freeway literally stands between you and the park. And this leads me to my third takeaway. When translating the SDGs, the goals, targets, and indicators to an urban environment, I think actors must understand the context including the values, priorities, history, and culture within a city and how this may change over time. Of course, time and resources preclude municipal actors from always being able to translate and integrate the SDGs meaningfully. One way to overcome this may be by involving citizens more in the governance of our cities through citizen dialogue, living labs, public-private partnerships, and having cities actually tangibly support community and grassroots initiatives. This podcast is produced by the International Institute for Industrial and Environmental Economics at Lund University. You can always find out more information about our research and education at www.iiee.lu.se. And here you can also find ways to get in touch with us. We want to take a moment to thank Roland Zinkernagel for sharing his insights and experience, both from academia and his time at the municipality. And as always, a special thanks to our production assistant, Franz Liebertsen. And last but not least, of course, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Advancing Sustainable Solutions. We have a new episode coming in April when you will get to meet Jan Wickenberg, another of the IIIE PhD candidates about to defend his thesis before summer. Stay tuned to hear more about his research on nature-based solutions. Until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>